Well, it's, uh, it's good to be with you guys. I hear some people coughing, and I, I can relate to that. I've spent uh, all week coughing. My wife has been coughing all night. It's, it's just been real interesting trying to keep up with, uh, with those health issues and everything else. It's a busy time. A lot of people doing graduations, a lot of people doing uh, different celebrations at this, this season. And uh, so it's, uh, it's, hard to almost, it's hard to keep up. Uh, yesterday, I, like I mentioned, I'd sent my uh, daughter to Illinois uh, at, at, uh, at 6 o'clock. And uh, then my son, as we dropped her off, informed me that at, um, at 7, we have a band concert. So um, there's just stunned silence that happens sometimes when you get information like that, thinking you got a moment. And uh, so it's just, been, it's just been going on and on. That said, that's just life, and it's always filled with unpredictability. It's filled with things that we can't always control. And sometimes it's filled with harsh realities that uh, are of, 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 of no fault of our own. And uh, as we've been kind of talking about the last few days, uh, our series that we're doing on Joseph, uh, or last few weeks anyway, um, it's, uh, it, it's been interesting to, to hear kind of Ari uh, talk about it from the standpoint of uh, the lens of a person who's been a missionary and a youth pastor and somebody that's spent a lot of time uh, trying to do pioneering work in, in reaching uh, that community. And I know that many of you were blessed by what he shared from uh, Genesis chapter 37. And as uh, we looked at the beginnings of Joseph's life as far as the, uh, the turn of events that led to him being pulled out uh, violently from his family through brothers that weren't too happy with his presence uh, to a place where now he's arrived in a strange land. And uh, we're going to explore a little bit about things that happened in the situation that he found himself in, which initially was very, very good, but then it turned very dark very fast. If uh, you look at the graphic, you'll see that um, it's entitled Joseph from Pit to Pinnacle. And he's had his moments where it just seemed like life was crushing in on him. And uh, initially, you can see why in, in Genesis 37, uh, some brothers would not be happy that the chosen one uh, with his awesome coat of many colors who's dreaming about everyone bowing down to him, uh, it's not too surprising that they weren't happy about that declaration or his, uh, his role in the family, uh, even up to that point, being favored and God, or, or Joseph, uh, being cut a lot of slack by his father, Jacob. Um, and, and so if you've ever read the drama of Joseph's life, it spans... 20 chapters in Genesis, and yet it is a very intentional story that God allowed us to become aware of for the purpose of us seeing a, an individual going through things that were unjust, some things that he brought upon himself initially, and how God is working it all together for good, like it says in Romans uh, 8 uh, and 28. Now, um, today's uh, message is, in, is, is entitled, uh, What to Do Whenever You're Betrayed. And it centers on 
uh, this story. And if you have Genesis uh, 39 in your Bibles, uh, you could take a look at it because there are some things I'm going to refer to. Uh, but I'll just, for the sake of time, because it is kind of a lengthy section, I'll just uh, share a few things about what happens in the storyline. It, it, it picks up where Joseph is carried off to Egypt. And he's a slave uh, because his brothers have basically either had two decisions, one to kill him or one to uh, trade him off and be done with him. So they chose the latter. And when they did, Joseph is just saying, why me? And when he lands in Egypt, very quickly, God begins to open up doors for him to, 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 to really discover that God has got his back. Uh, in, in, in Genesis 39, it opens up with that understanding. And then it places him in the house of one of the top administrators of Pharaoh himself. And how he got from slave to that position uh, is just an act of God's divine hand showing his favor. And as he uh, discovered that God was working through him, that relationship between he and God began to really grow. And, and I, I can only think that whenever Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and he was sold into slavery, that he started thinking about the story of Abraham and the story of God calling him and the story of Isaac and Jacob. And somehow he's thinking God fits into this equation. And I believe that in that dark, dark place of being sold into slavery, he began a conversation with God. And he began to frame his plight with a petition to God to be with him. And a petition to God to honor the things that he promised to his forefathers. And I believe God stepped in and said, I'm going to honor that position, a petition and I'm going to do great things through you. Just like I told Abraham in Genesis uh, 12, 1 through 3 your great-grandfather, go into the land that I'll show you. I will make your name great. And as you go, realize that out of your, out, out of your aged marriage is going to come a child, and all the nations will be blessed through that child. And as he summarized that promise to his great-grandfather, he said, you will go and you will be a blessing. And essentially, Joseph is starting to live that out. He's going to a land that is not of his own doing, that he's being shown through being carried off into slavery. And as he lands in that place, God just blesses him so richly. And God shows favor upon the household of this top administrator, Potiphar, by just working through Joseph in a way that enriches every part of his household. And Potiphar, uh, this administrator, is completely blown away by the, 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 the incredible capability and the incredible, in his mind, good fortune that Joseph uh, was bringing. And he was just thrilled. And he said, I am so confident in you, Joseph. I'm going to give you responsibility over everything I have so I can go and I can attend to uh, my work for Pharaoh. And so Joseph was put in charge of the whole household of uh, of, of his master Potiphar with the exception of having access to his wife. And that was understandable because it's just uh, there, there are just some boundaries that have to be honored. 
And when Joseph was attending to this responsibility, Potiphar's wife, uh, who is one of the main characters in this story, uh, is looking at him and saying, he is very attractive, and my husband is gone a lot, and the wheels just started turning. And this is where it all goes south. And if you have your message notes with you, uh, on the front, um, this is, this is kind of where it picks up. And, uh, and we'll, just, uh, we'll just read it real quickly. It says, um, okay. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And that just kind of summarizes what I mentioned earlier. And then we read a few verses later. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And the Bible usually doesn't talk about people's physique uh, unless it's germane to the storyline. And for this, uh, it comes into play. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, she was very blunt, come to bed with me. And he's looking at her, and I have no idea what she looked like. The Bible doesn't really talk about it. All I know is that she was a very, very powerful person. And he was in an awkward place where if he didn't honor her request, then he would, he would, it would be very rough going afterwards. And he's looking at this situation, and he's incredulous because he's just spent a, a, a significant amount of time connecting with God and understanding God and having God become a partner with him in life. And this very uh, big temptation uh, comes his way. If she was attractive, uh, it, it would have compounded things. We don't know. But even more significantly, she's powerful, which means that it could all just crumble and go south. And his response uh, essentially was, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And what's so instructive about this is how he's honoring a relationship that is critical for all the other relationships. And in the process of doing that, he's going to get some resistance. And maybe you are there. Maybe you are trying to honor God in things, and yet the world is pushing back. Uh, it may be throwing a temptation at you. It may be throwing a trial at you. It may be saying, you need to compromise your relationship with God so that you can service the relational need that is here. And I don't know what form that takes, but there are always people in our lives who don't really get God, who want us to do life their way. And Joseph is, is looking at the math and he's saying, the bottom line, this is just a wicked thing. And I don't want to sin against God. Well, you know the old Shakespearean statement, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Now, I'm, I'm just quoting, okay? Uh, you know, I'm at the mercy of my wife. Uh, she's jumped in, so I, I rush. I don't rush in where angels fear to tread there. I'm grateful for her uh, on so many levels. Um, 
So that little, um, that, that little statement uh, offered, I, I, I want you to be aware that her response to his basic dismissal of this whole proposition didn't go well. Uh, scripture had said that, she, that all the servants and everybody was gone. So I'm guessing she sort of arranged some circumstances so this thing could happen in a way that she wanted it to go. Well, the scripture tells us as this unfolds that her response uh, in later verses was uh, she was pretty upset. And she called all the servants and she said, you guys, guess what? He tried to make sport of all of us. So she's sort of rallying the troops and getting a critical mass of people to be in support of her cause because she's going to burn this guy. And, of course, the servants aren't real happy either. And she knows that because who is this Hebrew? And that's what she calls him. It would be like somebody saying a Jew derogatorily or some sort of racial epithet. And as, 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 as she's saying that about him, the other ser- servants are going, yeah, we don't know where this guy came from. We don't know how he warmed his way into Potiphar's heart the way he did. We're kind of, kind of jealous here of the fact that he's showing so much favoritism to Joseph. And so we're on board with you. Uh, that guy, he's the he's scum of the earth. And, um, and, and, and something needs to be done to get him out of the equation. So you see all this energy at work trying to uh, basically uh, uh, frame uh, the situation. And this is how she does it. Now, Joseph, one thing that, that seems to get him in trouble every time is his clothing. You know, he's got a coat of many colors. They're not happy about that. And he encounters this woman. She's aggressive. And as he's trying to run away, she grabs his cloak and she pulls it off of him. And he's just booking out of there. And then she takes this cloak and she says, let me tell you a story about this cloak. This Hebrew, he tried to come on to me, and this is evidence, and uh, my husband is not going to be happy about this. And so she completely rewrote the episode in a way that, 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 that indicated an act of, uh, of great betrayal. She has a cheering section who are saying, go, 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 and... Now, the master walks in, and he sees his wife very upset. He sees the servants all wringing their hands, and he knows something is up. And she, she shows him the cloak, and she says, you do the math. This guy that you brought on board, well, he's not who you think he is. And she just set him up. And the scripture tells us, at that point, Potiphar burned with anger. And she was just loving this. And the servants were just thrilled. And Potiphar, interestingly enough, I know, was a little conflicted. Because he saw in Joseph so many good things. Things that were so refreshing. Things that he never experienced in the bureaucracy of working for Pharaoh. Things that showed that he seemed like an above-board, honest, trustworthy guy. And now, all that stuff is gone. But there's something in his head that says, but I'm, I'm just not totally sure about this. And how do, I, how do I know that? Because in his situation, the automatic response would have been just kill him. Just put him to death. Just get rid of him. He's a Hebrew. He's a slave. He betrayed us. He betrayed me. And 
he has no right to live here anymore. But interestingly enough, he put him in Pharaoh's prison, which is where servants for Pharaoh and, and, that, and, and the upper echelons who maybe stepped out of line or maybe were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they were a lightning rod for something that was upsetting Pharaoh or one of the higher bureaucrats. And they just used that person as a means to uh, 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 just download all of their anger, and then they'd end up in prison. And there were a few people down the road who ended up in prison that we'll get to in the storyline later. Uh, And Potiphar said, I want to put Joseph in that prison with those guys. Because even though this thing does not look good, I also know my wife well enough that I'm not sure that I didn't hear the whole story. So he's just not certain about how how to size this thing up. But he is angry. And why wouldn't he be? Any time that somebody tries to go into that area of your life that is sacred, like a marriage, it uh, it stirs up a lot of things in us. And God gets all of that. God understands jealousy. Scripture says that He is a jealous God, and He's jealous not in the sense that He's weird about it, but when He sees someone committing themselves to something or some other thing other than Him. It upsets him greatly. And it is within our nature uh, when it comes to spouses or anything like that to have that same feeling. And so those jealousies began to well up. Well, let's just go into what what actually is going down as we sort of do an autopsy of, of of this experience. If you look at the at the message notes today, you'll see just in bold letters, betrayed. And what to do. And if you look carefully, you'll see that there's something else going on underneath that, that label. Can you make it out? Offended. Okay. I would say that beneath uh, most betrayals is an offense. And, uh, and that's, that's really where we want to start with this. As, um, as, as Joseph's story uh, unfolds here. And we're thinking about betrayal because... I guess I never stopped to ask the question, have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever experienced uh, a trusting relationship with someone, and then for some reason, it just all went south? And many times, I can say pastorally, it's the result of miscommunication. It's the result of misunderstanding. But sometimes there are people who, uh, for whatever reason... Uh, that we've offended. And now, rather than looking at us glass half full, they look at us glass half empty. I'm sure I've offended a lot of people over the years. I'm sure there are some of you that I've offended at one point or another. Thankfully, the grace hopefully is sufficient to keep it moving forward. But in this case, Joseph has offended some people. Initially, he offended his brothers by I don't know if he was just not aware that when you do these things, when you tell your brothers, look at me, I'm special, look at my coat, God, or my father said, I'm a special kid, and you guys are going to bow down to me because I had two dreams about it. How would you take that? Yeah. So you get where I'm coming from. And they betrayed him primarily because they were offended by him deeply. And we could dig into that story and see how that offense played out. But for now, we're just going to focus on this one. 
and anything that is going on in your life. Because the downside of betrayal is the fact that it takes something good, a good relationship, and it, and it is the end result of things that led to the unraveling of that relationship. And when you're betrayed, maybe you see it coming out, you didn't even see it coming, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, that person no longer has my back. Boom, that person no longer looks at me uh, with a smile, but rather a scowl. And it can happen. And sometimes it happens because of something we know we did that caused that rift. Other times, it's just based on miscommunication and everything in between. Joseph is looking at his circumstances and he's saying, oh no, not again. Here it was going well and then crash. God, what are you up to? Have you ever asked God that question when things didn't go right and it really seemingly was of no fault of your own? God, where are you in, in, in this equation? I even had a person who was going through this very issue call me this week. And they said, because they had been, been betrayed, not by me, but by, by another person, they said, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. I mean, it was just them venting. But it was their way of saying, I don't know where God's at in this because this isn't working out the way it should. Now, in the Bible, we know when Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, there's no mention of God being in the equation. He was just betrayed by his brothers. However, if you look carefully at Genesis 39, it says several times, and God was with Joseph, and God was with him, and God was with him. And you see that repeatedly throughout. And it's done with such a high degree of repetition that it's almost like the author saying, now remember, this story gets ugly but God is with them. And if you read Genesis 39 for the first time, you may be saying, God, why did you set this guy up the way you did? Why did you allow him to have this dream and this code and then to be sent off as a slave? And why did you put him into this position of, of great power and influence only to just knock him back down again? And the first time you read Genesis 39, I know that pops into your head. But if you've read Genesis 39 through the end of Genesis you start to see why. Isn't it interesting how hindsight is such a good view to get perspective on the things that really happen? In Genesis, um, at the end of the book, it says that God not only was with him, but he's actually using this set of circumstances to propel him forward. And of all the dark things that we experience in life, betrayal, uh, lack of trust, Things that uh, really diminish and sabotage relationships. Believe it or not, if you've been through that, God is very much at work in that if you, are, if, if you trust him and you allow him to lead you through it. I can only say that because I know the promise that he does work everything together for good. And I know that as he works in our lives, he wants to work towards reconciliation. He wants to work towards making things right. That's really his goal. But a lot of times, when you throw yourself in the messiness of our lives together, in the confusion, into the miscommunication, or no communication, he understands that things blow up. And below the surface, it blew up. Because... The relationship that he had with God was in conflict with the relationship that he was having with Potiphar's wife and ultimately Potiphar. 
So under every, underneath every betrayal is someone who has been offended. Underneath the offense, you will often uh, see some version of the following. Anger, envy, jealousy. Uh, in the first act of betrayal, I mean, on the surface, you can understand why Potiphar said, I can't believe this is happening. And he burned with anger. Because he was offended by the fact that of all the boundaries that he had opened up for him, the one that he closed off, Joseph crossed. And it incensed him to no end, even though he had lingering doubts. And maybe when betrayal happens, it's because you did something by stepping into somebody's world and you angered them. And anger is an interesting emotion. You, you, ever, you ever go to bed at night angry and not really slept a whole lot that night and were pretty disturbed the next day, it is one of those things that just escalates in our minds this irrational train of thought that is only focused on the ire that you have against the offending party. And that's why the Bible says, in your anger do not sin. And that's why Paul says, don't go to bed in anger, but rather resolve it before you do. It is such a powerful cascading emotion that it expands to such a degree that it becomes irrational. You know, when you trust somebody, do you give them the benefit of the doubt? Do you look at them and say, I know they're not perfect, but I see good things in their life, and I want to do everything I can to support them? It's almost like you go the extra mile for the person, even though there are shortcomings in each of us. You just say, you know, uh, I, I, I want it to be all good. And then when there's a breach and it goes the other way, then you go the extra mile the other way. In that act of mistrust, you put on a set of glasses. And by the way, you're probably looking at me saying, what's different about Leonard? Something's odd. Um, well, just as a sidebar, I've been dealing with headaches for a while, and I think uh, my wife said, you need a checkup from the neck up. So I thought, well, I'm not sure what that means, but I'll start with glasses. Uh, and and, and uh, some of the eye strain, I think, may be causing it. Um, and and as, uh, you know, as, as you're looking at me and you're saying, yeah, okay, that's it. He's not wearing glasses. He's got contacts. Well, that's, that's what I'm doing, in case you're curious. But, and believe it or not, I can see a lot better. I, Muriel asked me, did you see so-and-so in church? And I'm like, I can't really see past halfway back. Uh, so maybe that was a good first indication that I did need that checkup. Uh, but as, um, as Joseph was looking at the world, uh, he was seeing it through the lens of God. As Potiphar was looking at the world, he was seeing it through the lens of trust and trustworthiness as he looked at Joseph. But then, like any betrayal, those glasses were taken off. And the pair that's put on, which is now seeing things a little bit differently, is saying, all I see right now is a, is a bad character. And, you know, when somebody, when there's betrayal in the air and there's a breach in, in relationship, you look at that person differently. You start seeing all their flaws, all their faults. You become actually a, a professional fault finder of their character and you you begin to see a pattern of all the things that they do wrong and it overblows it so much 
And God understands that we just have this way of getting out of proportion in either case. Well, anger could be something that is in play that causes a person to be uh, a result of an offense that leads them to betray the other person. Envy is a case because the workers that were helping out around the house, they were not happy that Joseph was in this preeminent role. And they were envious that he had the favorable insider uh, conversation with Potiphar, the inner circle. And they were, they were envious that they were not in that inner circle and they wanted to be there. And they not only wanted to be there, but they wanted to be there and him not be there. And envy works in a strange, bizarre way that way. Maybe somebody's offended by, you know, their neighbor buying a new car and they're like, my car's old now and I envy their car. And all of a sudden you're thinking about your neighbor negatively. And it's just the weird way that our minds work. And yet God says, I see that and I want to help you come correct on it. And I'm going to work through envy. Envy is one of those things that has no virtue whatsoever. There's nothing good about envy. Whereas with anger, there is a time for righteous anger. And jealousy, there is a time to be jealous. The jealousy of a husband for his wife who is, is being um, molested by somebody who's not her husband, that can, really, that can really cause a rift. Jealousy that God has for you and I. When we turn away from things that are not of him, he becomes offended in his own way. Did you realize that? That we are God's possession. And when somebody tries to take us away or something tries to take us away from him, even a good thing that is lesser than God or a subtle distraction or a huge temptation, God's saying, I'm jealous about that. I'm offended by this event and I want to get to the bottom of it. And I'm glad that God is jealous for me. If you've ever been jealous, there's only one thing that you have on your mind. And that is to get back that which you seem, seems to be uh, coming out of your grasp. All you can think about is recovering it. And did you know that when we start to slip away from God, he doesn't see it so much as an act of betrayal against him and he's hugely offended. Even though it is all of that. But rather he sees us becoming unattached from him and he longs to recover that which is getting separated from him and I like the fact that God's jealous for me God's jealous for you I have this conversation on almost a weekly basis with people a person will call me and they'll say you know I just feel like God doesn't love me anymore I just feel like God's not there um person told me this week that you know things are just not going well in my life and is it possible that I've grieved God so bad with the things that I've done that he, he he's left me and I assured this person I said well what have you done and it was not really much of anything at all except was kind of mad at her husband I said I don't think God's going to leave you for that I said you have children and this person said yeah I said how would you feel if your children backed away from you for a while? She said, I'd be heartbroken. And I said, okay, so they backed away from you, and you're heartbroken, so do you tell them, get out of my life. I don't want you anymore. Would you do that? 
Of course not. You would say, I want to do everything I can to get things back to where they need to be. And that's the way God is with us. He is so jealous for us that he's going to work through other people and circumstances to get you back where you need to be because we're on this road to a great destiny that in many ways parallels the road that our friend Joseph was on. So behind every betrayal is an offense, and that offense is usually centered on on those things. So what do you do when betrayal happens in our relationship with other people? And just a couple of things I want to point out. First of all, um, we have to name the point of disintegration. Uh, if, if, If you've ever had a relationship that was good that went south, chances are there's a story and there's a moment that happened probably sometime prior to that that caused it to land where it did. You ever uh, hear the story about King David and his son Absalom who killed another son who slept with one of the sisters and Absalom was just incensed that David didn't do anything about the brother who molested his sister. And he was so mad at his dad for that that he started a campaign that lasted three years where he just basically said, Dad's disappointed me. I think I'm next in line to be king. Let's just get it started. And the person that he aligned with himself on that campaign was, uh, was David's right-hand man. Uh, Ahithophel, who scripture says, when he spoke, it was like he was speaking the words of God. And it was David's best friend. And Ahithophel said, I'm with you, Absalom. Let's work against David. And it's a very intriguing story. And you're thinking, why in the world would Ahithophel betray his best friend, David? But if you dig a little bit deeper, some offenses happened in Ahithophel's life that caused him to go in this direction. You see, Ahithophel's granddaughter's name was Bathsheba. And Ahithophel's uh, uh, grandson's best friend was a guy named Uriah. And Ahithophel was uh, was very tight with all of these people. And when David slept with his granddaughter... And then he killed his grandson-in-law and his grandson's best friend. That was the beginning of the end. But a lot of water went under the bridge before this moment of betrayal happened. But can you see how it began to work? And I don't know how, if that story would have turned out any differently, but there was treason, and there was a reason for the treason. And it had a lot to do with the dumb actions of King David. And maybe sometimes it has a lot to do with things that we've done that are blatant, but we've glossed over and said, yeah, God's forgive me. But maybe other people haven't, and we need to make it right with them. Relationships are tricky, but when they work, they're the best in the world. There's nothing like being married. There's nothing like having children. There's nothing like having friends. There's nothing like being in a church together with other people. But these forces are always at work against us. And they're looking for opportunities in our own shortcomings to drive wedges. 
And so if you want to see things come correct in a relationship, you've got to go to that place where the offense first happened. You've got to say, okay, let's be honest and let's deal with this and let's just have it out and let's talk about it and let's take responsibility and ownership, each of us, for the things that we brought to the equation that led to this ultimate betrayal. And the second thing that you do after you name that point of disintegration is you choose to fight for the relationship and not for the disease. And by that I mean you're looking at the person and you're saying, all right, here we are. What can we do to work together to land in a place down the road where there's harmony again? But you know our nature? It's to not take the courageous route. It's to take the easy route and to look at the disease, which is really the problem that created the rift, and just point fingers and lay blame. And God says, we're not going to do that. And Joseph, he fought for his relationship with God in the midst of powerful forces that were working against us, in the midst of huge temptations. And he said, I'm going to fight for that relationship. And I'm not going to cater to the dysfunctionality of of this wayward wife. And as he did, um, it cost him. Now, I don't know that there would ever be a place for him to reconcile with her unless she discovered his God, and began to think like a person who follows his God. And maybe sometimes in those rifts that you have with other people, it may never get to where it needs to be unless both of you are followers of Jesus. If you're both followers of Jesus, then there needs to be reconciliation. Because the meal that we're getting ready to eat is all about reconciliation. It is all about Common unity, community, communion. So if you're working on something that you know is not right with another human being and there's betrayal in the air and there's a fence underlying that, I would say go to the Lord, ask for wisdom, and then begin to work and fight towards these things so that you can recover something good and blessing can come back into the equation. Here's the second thing, though, and I think this pertains to all of us because when it comes to betrayal, it can also happen in our relationship with the Lord. Now, the thing about Joseph that I really admire is despite his own shortcomings initially and his braggadocio with his brothers and not being socially aware of how this was impacting them, he kind of grew up a little bit, and I think he discovered that there are ways to relate to other people that won't put them off. But he also realized that no matter what, the primary relationship is with God. Do you know what the two greatest commandments are? First one is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And Joseph understood that. And God was first. And loving his neighbor was, was of course, uh, a, a quick second to that. And yet, betrayal happens. There are some people who say, I can't go to church anymore because I've betrayed God. I've done something that is offensive to him, and I know if I do, the roof is going to cave in. You know, you, I could catalog, I could write a book about all the ways that churches, church buildings are destroyed by people walking in and saying that I've done something and God's going to do this. The building's going to fall in, foundation's going to crumble, uh, lightning's going to strike, uh, there will be a power failure. Uh, there will be, you know, just every apocalyptic scene you can imagine. People have said, if 
I go to church, that's going to happen. If you want your building, you don't want me coming. God, uh, God of course, uh, is not going to do that. But rather, he's in a battle. He's jealous for each of us, saved and unsaved, to come into his family. And so what do we consider whenever we betrayed God? And I can tell you, I've done that. What you do is you go to God and you remember that God treasures and protects our relationship with him. And I just want to underscore what I mentioned initially, that God is in the business of watching over our lives. God isn't like, okay, we're not so close now, so you do your own thing, and if it goes south, then uh, maybe I'll come and pay attention to what's happening. No, God doesn't work that way. He's always paying attention. He's always aware. He's always looking for opportunities to bring us closer through circumstances and through other people. And he did that in Joseph's life. His opportunity was Joseph sold off from his family. God says, I'm swooping in, and I'm going to make myself known. Joseph said, I understand you got my back, God. And then when we hear the story, God was with him, God was with him, God was with him. God treasured him and protected him. And he wanted to do that not only for the Hebrew people, but for, as the promise was given to Abraham, all the nations. And as we remember that God's view of us is that of a treasure. I mean, when I sent my daughter off to, the, uh, uh, to, to, to Illinois on the plane, um, you know, we, we dropped her off, and we could have just dropped her off uh, and just left. I, 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 I couldn't. I, I, had to, I had to walk her through to the, uh, to, the, to the ticket agent, and I had to go through all that, and I wanted to walk with her through TSA. They don't like it when you do that. So uh, I, I, I refrained. But I'll, I just want to protect her, you know. I didn't go to bed until... I knew for sure that she had landed okay and that she was safe with uh, her aunt and uncle. And I'm grateful that she's doing her internship with her uncle, who is a very godly Christian. Because I'm thinking, she's a female in, in a man's world, and sometimes it's not nice. And I know he'll watch out for her. And I know that she's safe. Uh, but that's because I treasure her. And I want to protect her like I do people that I love, including you guys. Here's the second thing. As God treasures and protects our relationship with him, we also need to understand that through the adversity of betrayal, God may be preparing us for something greater. Did you know that? I don't like it when things go south in relationships. I like harmony. I like peace. I like getting along. But I also know that any time you do something together with somebody where you're taking some initiative, there's always going to be differences. And sometimes the differences become so great that it doesn't always end the way you'd like. God says, I see your differences with me. I see your shortcomings. I see the things that you're conflicted about, the things that you struggle with. But I want you to know something. Even as these forces are at work against you to keep you away from me, I'm going to use them to actually draw you in. And maybe you're going through some adversity right now like Joseph did. And it can do one of two things. It can drive you away and say, I don't believe there's a God. Or you can trust the fact that in the midst of the adversity, God is saying, I'm actually building you up for something greater through the struggle. And in Genesis 50, 20, 
This, this, um, this story actually ends. And it's the best way to read what we've just talked about. At the end of the story, Joseph is reconciled with his brothers. And they realize that God was up to something here. He actually used you through all of this to get to the place where you were as Pharaoh's number two so that God could actually initiate a process of delivering all of our people when the famine came and God would use all of these bad experiences to shape you into the person that you needed to be so that you could lead at that level. And the brothers, when they discovered in that encounter that the brother that they had betrayed and they had sent off to be slaves for who knows who, that brother was now practically the king now. And he's looking at us, and they're just melting. And they're thinking, oh my goodness, he's going he's gonna to kill us. He, I can just see the wheels turning. He's going to just do unimaginable things to get vengeance. And in that moment, when it all just kind of came to the surface, Joseph said, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, the best thing about Joseph, Joseph actually took Joseph out of the equation. He just said, I surrender it all to you, God. I'll go up, I'll go down, I'll go up, I'll go down with you because I know you're completely trustworthy. And I know that you're up to something in my life that's greater than just me just doing life. And I know that you are going to work this together for good. I don't know how, but I know you are a good God. And in that confidence, Joseph realized, it's not about me. It's not about me being offended. It's not about betrayal. It's about God. Maybe something that has offended you has kept you away from somebody that in your heart you know you love. Maybe some act of, I think God's betrayed me by not helping me, is keeping you from drawing close. I just want to assure you, Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But take confidence in me, I've overcome the world. So Jesus says, God's going to allow it. But you've got to trust the Father to get you through it because I've overcome. And where are you at right now with him? Where are you at with other people that you love that you're not connected to anymore? God's in the business of reconciliation. And maybe this morning he's using betrayal as actually a theme to draw your attention to some unattended business. Maybe he's saying now that we brought this to the surface, Let's go to the point of disintegration and begin to work forward. And for us, our point of disintegration ultimately was the fall. But God said, my son has enabled you to overcome even that. And we're getting ready to meet at a table that just underscores that between ourselves and God, how he's perfect and how we lack, it is all good through the grace of Christ. But you have to know him in order to know the joy of that grace in your life. And when you do, you'll discover there's nothing like it.